And now, the 2012 winner of the Heisman Memorial Trophy is Johnny Manziel. <laughs> What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast. Episode number 31, December 12, 2012. Got a great show lined up for you today. Really excited about it. Want to thank Adam Rank for being on the show last week. Adam's a good dude, and he gave some really good fantasy advice. I think if you listened to the interview last week and you fan- you followed Adam's advice, you may be in uh, in the next round. So thank you, Adam, for being on the show. Uh, don't forget, you can check out our other podcasts, the Sportscasters proper, at www.sportscasters.com. We've got a great show on there this week. We have uh, Dan Wolken from USA Today talk about the Heisman Trophy and uh, the bowl season. We also have uh, Dan Levy, who is, going to, is from Bleacher Report, uh, pretty much the main man over there. He's going to talk about all kinds of different things, including some football. So if you're really just in it for the football, that's the interview you want to yeah, check yeah. out. And uh, we're also going to do some uh, baseball hot stove with uh, Jonah Carey from Grantland.com. So please check that out at www.sportscasters.com, or you can also find us on iTunes and Sp- Spotify. Is that what it's called? No, Stitcher. Stitcher, yeah. just listen to Spotify. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, today we got three things. We got an email. We got a guest, and we got one last thing. Let's get started with... Oh, wait. I almost did it. What's that? I am the host of the show, Steve Bennett. Oh, hey. And you are the co-host of the show, Don Ross. How's it going? Very good. (laughs) Let's do this. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, on the other podcast on sports-casters.com, whoops, sorry about that, uh, we do a look back at last week, so if you want the review, check that out, and uh, we'll review the week that was. On this podcast, we're going to do the week ahead. Uh, starting with Thursday night's football game, Bengals at the Eagles. Bengals just got to take care of business, bottom line. Yep, they got to win this game. They're looking like they could be a playoff team. They beat some good teams. Now beat a bad one and uh, keep doing what you got to do. Bills play their annual Toronto game that, come on, nobody's going to care about this game either. I heard that at 1 o'clock people are, from the NFL are going to be walking the streets to hand out tickets to make it look full. Full. Yeah. Uh just sham. Not a matchup. It's interesting. As a Bills fan, you don't want them to take the good matchups to Toronto. But does anyone in Toronto care about Bills Seahawks? Probably not. I mean, would it be different if it was Bills uh, Patriots? Probably. Uh, but then you're giving one of your home games to uh, against a division rival. I mean, you're basically playing a division rival on a neutral site. So it is what it is. Uh, 
as a Bills fan, I'm, I'm ready for next year, I guess, already, which is a bummer every time this year. By the way, great week for games again with teams with winning records. Yeah. I think I counted six. We got Giants Falcons. It's a huge game. Atlanta's favored by one. Giants have, we've we have been unwavering in our dissatisfaction or whatever you want to call it with our disbelief of the eleven and two records that the Falcons have and they kind of played into that last week and they're a favorite against the Giants, but I I don't know. I I like the Giants to win that game and uh the I the Falcons feel like a one and done team and they better get a bye and play at home. Because they're a different team at home. They're six and zero at home. The nine and four Packers played the eight and five Bears in a huge game. Yeah, in huge, the NFC North, huge for both teams. The Packers can't afford to lose that game. Really, the Bears can't either. Uh, the Bears, again, like most teams, but they play much better on at home. And they're five and two there. Uh, Cutler banged up in the last game, but I, I believe he's going to play. Yeah, you got to figure in this game he'll get himself out there. If he can, he's And we should be. mention that Brandon Marshall is having an all-time season. Yeah, that I'll get to that in one of my things this week. Uh but yeah, Brandon okay, Marshall. Okay, let you save it then. Li- little overshadowed. <clears throat> excuse me, he's probably being overshadowed rightfully so maybe by Calvin Johnson just having that monster year that he's having on pace to break a rice or a record Jerry Rice set, but Brandon Marshall's not no uh not having, he's no slouch himself over there in in Chicago. Also, uh, we have the Vikings seven and six against the Rams six six and one. Another team that has to just take care of business. The Vikings. Yep. I mean, I know the Rams are six and six, six six and one. I just I don't think they're as good a team as the Vikings. The Vikings, I think, are closer to being a playoff team. But man, Ponder is the ultimate game manager. They don't let him do anything or. When he does, he just doesn't take advantage of those opportunities at all. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that team looks for another quarterback next year because they're they're close. That's a team that's close to being pretty. Decent. And we talked about how Adrian Peter, Peter off the air about Adrian Peterson exactly four hundred yards away from two thousand with three games to go. Yeah, and I'll talk about him too in one of my things. Dolphins, Jags, uh, who cares? Uh, playing for pride there. Bucks, Saints, kind of the same thing. The Saints, yep. I. I think this is where we talked earlier in the other podcast. I think this is where Drew Brees and the team plays for a little pride too. They've kind of been beat up a little bit the last two games. I wouldn't expect them to do it again, especially against a division rival. So that should be a that should be a good game, even though it probably, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean anything. Bron- uh, Broncos Ravens is a huge game. Huge, though. yep, especially for seeding and things like that in the playoffs. Yeah, the Broncos. To me, we talked again on the other podcast about how I believe. I'm not sure. You agreed, but I think there's two teams in the AFC, one of them being the Broncos. I know the Ravens are close, but I, I just don't think they're in the league with the Broncos and the Patriots right now. And they showed it last week by losing a game uh, in which RG3 was knocked out. They couldn't they, – that defense is just – they're not the Ravens you're used to. They're, they're defense, run defense and pass defense are in the lower third of the league. And they just fired their offensive coordinator. Yep, Cam Cameron got fired, so – Maybe Ray Rice fantasy owners will get more carries out of him because of that. Colts still doesn't have a thousand yards rushing. No, he doesn't. He's just under. He's having a nice season though. I mean, he's doing it with. Not, he catch. He's not a, a big part of, of the, part of the passing yard, and he's got nine TDs, which is nice. Yeah, you're not disappointed at all if you drafted him early. Um, Colts, Colts Texans, and I really another nice game. game. Yeah. Interesting. I kind of feel about the Colts. I think they're kind of similar to the. 
Falcons of the NFC. I just I think they're a good team. I don't think they're quite there yet. The Texans were embarrassed last, this past week, and I think the Texans look to uh, redeem themselves and maybe embarrass the Colts a little bit here in a division game. Andrew Luck is going to pass for over 4,000 yards and, 18, and 20 touchdowns in his rookie year. Yeah, it's crazy. The Colts, however, do control their own destiny because they play the Texans twice in these last three games. So if they win both of those games, they'd be at worst tied. And they would have the tiebreaker, obviously, because right. of the division record. So the Colts really want to throw a monkey wrench into all this stuff. They, they can go out and beat the Texans twice in the last few weeks here. Not much to talk about with Lions or Cardinals or Panthers or Chargers. That gets us to Steelers, the Cowboys. Steelers and Cowboys. Yeah, that's must win at this point for both of those teams. The AFC has been so lousy uh, that the Steelers have been able to kind of have a lackluster game or two here and hang in there. Uh Cowboys are an odd team. Will Des Bryant play? Will he not? Right. They squeak out wins against team. I mean, they did what they had to do last week, I suppose. You know what? I think they really, really missed DeMarco Murray when DeMarco Murray was out. And I think that they thought that that was going to be a much shorter injury than it was. So I don't think they pushed as hard to maybe look outside the organization for someone who might be able to fill that role. And that injury lingered a little while. And... Just watching the game, it just seems like DeMarco Murray changes that offense the way he can catch the ball yeah. in the backfield. And now that he's back, though, like you said, uh, Des Bryant's hurt, and it just seems like although they're running fill game that is... in with Miles Austin, right? But he's been banged up all year too, and just nagging hamstrings. So they get healthy in one area, they get unhealthy in another. So tough, tough run for the Cowboys. I'm not sure that they'll be able to do enough to make the playoffs, but. Starts this week. I mean, neither of those teams. That this is really a playoff game for the Steelers and the Cowboys because I imagine whoever loses is going to be done. No need to talk about Chiefs or Raiders or Jets and Titans. Poor ESPN stuck with the Jets yeah. and the Titans on Monday Night Football. That'll be the lowest rated game of the year. But we have a great Sunday Night Football game: the Forty Niners versus the Patriots on NBC at eight twenty. What do you think, Bud? I like the Patriots again. I think. Uh, Last week I talked about how Houston was kind of the new kid. The 49ers aren't quite the new kid. I mean, they, they've got some success. They had a nice, that great game last year in the playoffs. But that said, the Patriots, they don't let off the gas. They don't look past teams. They don't rest on their laurels. They, uh, they just go out and beat teams. And I don't think that Kaepernick's going to be able to keep up with Brady, even with the defense he's got there. I just... They're too locked in right now. The Patriots are great. They're, I believe, four points. They're ten and three. They've lost three games this year, but I believe they're four points from being undefeated. They lost to Arizona, which is a friggin' mystery. They it was because Gaskowski missed a short field goal. Right. So they lost that game twenty to eighteen. They lost to Baltimore thirty-one thirty the following week when they were one and two, and people were asking if they were done. Then they lost to Seattle, 24-23. Another close win for Seattle there. So, yeah, four points separates them from looking at 13-0 and right now. Man, that's just – that team gets it done every year. It's it's uh, too bad that they're in my favorite team's division. but You know what's great about the, this Patriots team is the balance. Yeah, they're running the ball a lot too. Tom Brady has almost 4,000 yards passing. Wrigley has over 1,000 yards rushing. And Welker has over 1,000 yards receiving. Yeah, and in a game, uh, I know my brother had Stephen Ridley in a fantasy league, and in a game where this past week the Patriots went 42-14, to 14, you'd expect, although he had an okay day. 
18 carries for 72 yards, but it goes to your balance. They really use Vereen a lot in that game too, so they're getting everybody and involved. And the guy who got the Bills that one day. He only had two carries, two but yeah, carries. he wasn't he was involved. Vereen had eight carries. Ridley ended up with 18, so he did still end up with the most, uh, and none of them had any catches, but still 33 carries to, to 21 receptions. Uh, 33 carries to, I guess, 35 at 36 passing attempts, so very balanced, which is very unlike them. They appear to have at least two guys that can run the ball. That's if you don't even count a guy like Danny Woodhead, who's kind of like an X factor in there. They're, and I'm gonna they're say, a scary team. This is the main point for me in the game. I think this is the week that some 49ers fans are going to whisper, did we do the right thing with Kaepernick to Smith? Because this is the perfect game for Alex Smith. This is the perfect kind of game where he goes in and he controls the ball and he doesn't make any mistakes and it's there for you in the fourth quarter. Can Kaepernick four weeks into his career do that in New England on a Sunday night? Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting dilemma because uh, a guy like uh, you could argue that the Ravens did something similar and they're 9-4 and four now and at 9-4 and four they fire their offensive coordinator. So they think they can be better. even Even with that great record, they think they can be better. The San Francisco maybe saw some limitations with Alex Smith and thought we can be better with with Kaepernick down the road. So maybe you take a step backwards or maybe make a lateral move to be better for the future. The interesting thing is you do it at the expense of Alex Smith, who's got something like six losses in his career. Yeah, poor Wally as, as a starter. So that's that's an odd move, but I don't know. I kind of admire the team for making that move. Maybe it's because I'm a Bills fan and – They've got a coach that has a terrible record. He loses, he wins like thirty-three percent of his, the time out there, and they refuse to fire him. And they haven't changed quarterbacks. They don't do anything ballsy like this. But uh, I don't know. What would you have done differently with Kaepernick? Maybe started him at the beginning of next season. Because I don't know. I just that's it, just a team built to win now. So either, I know the guy's got balls. The coach. Okay, Harbaugh, he's right. not. He's not a guy who's scared. Probably, arguably the best coach in the league, just with what he's done with that team. The thing is, is that that guy took you to two yeah. fumbles by a special teams player away from a Super Bowl last year. Yep. And because he got a concussion, he doesn't have a job anymore. It just rubs me the wrong way. Maybe on the football field, it's the right thing to do. But I don't know how he looks at Alex Smith in the face every day. Yeah, that's that's an interesting call. It, did I never play the three things music, or did I just I must have just you turned were it. like botching it, and then you just turned it off. <laughs> there it is. I thought we already hit our time. Like sometimes we go over the time, it tells us we're going long. All right, uh, I think that's it for the week yeah. that will be. But yeah, that great Sunday night game again. My second thing this week, sad again, two weeks in a row in the NFL with sad news. But uh, Josh Brent driving under the influence late. One last week, uh, gets in a car accident and kills his friend and practice squad linebacker Jerry Brown of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, get a driver. I mean, there's sad story. My or my thoughts go out to the families and the Dallas Cowboys organization. All that stuff. I don't mean to just jump past that, but get a driver. We talk about this stuff all the time. Get a driver. Get a driver. Get a driver. And hopefully some players will learn from this. Yeah, it's a really sad tragedy, especially around Christmas time, yeah. holiday season, New Year's. It's just 
it's just horrible, sad. And avoidable, avoidable. Very avoidable. All right, it's tough to go from that to this, but congratulations to Johnny Manziel, Johnny yeah. Football, for being the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Teo was second, Klein was third. It was about 420 first place votes to about 300, so wasn't necessarily even that close. I think that Manziel won the Heisman Trophy the day he beat Alabama. That was on national TV. It was a signature moment, a signature win, a game that he played great in. And I think the problem is, is we should call the Heisman Trophy what it is, and that's the best offensive player of the year award. <laughs> yeah. Because it's only been won by a defender one time, and he was a guy who scored touchdowns all the time on special teams. Yeah. So, I don't know. Congratulations to Manziel. Personally, if I had a ballot, I probably would have put Teo first. Because of the season he's had or because of the career? Well, I think the season... I mean, it's supposed to be a season award, right? Right. I think the way his season started, I know it wasn't on the football field, but to pick yourself up from that and have the season that he's had, which has been incredible, and to always be there to make the play when needed, like in the Oklahoma game... Right after they took the lead, he got the big interception, even though there's absolutely no way it was an interception. It was a horrible review decision. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm a curmudgeon who thinks that Manziel has three more years to win it. Maybe. And Teo, that was it. But like you said, it would be interesting to see, it'd be nice to see a true defensive player win it. The only other player that you were talking about was Charles Woodson, but they have him as a cornerback slash punt returner. So. Supposedly, Clowney for South Carolina is going to be the first pick in the draft. Not this year, but next year. And he has the potential, based on sack numbers, to be in the discussion. So we'll see about him. We shall see. My last thing this week, and... Uh my last thing on the other podcast was this thing about an interesting rule proposal that if you're a purist, you're going to hate regarding kickoff. So check that out if you want to hear us talk about uh, kickoff rule revisal. But my third thing slash my uh, Reddit stat of the week, I'm going to use uh, user um, U-H-H-H-M-M-M-M-M, four H's, four M's. I'm going to use his homework to give out two stats here. One of them is uh, we talked earlier about how Brandon Marshall's year has been Calvin Johnson's had the better year, but Calvin Johnson, A, is doing it on a, on a lousy losing team that's playing for nothing at this point, and probably with a better quarterback, maybe with a better uh, support there, other than the defense. The support point might be a little bit arguable, but anyway, Brandon Marshall has 1,342 yards. I believe he already has over 100 catches. Ridiculous, ridiculous year already. The number two receiver on Chicago right now, Elshon Jeffrey with 256 yards receiving. Uh, that, If you do the math on that, means Brandon Marshall has almost 1,100 more yards than the next closest player on his team. Wow. He's carrying, absolutely carrying that team. And the other guy absolutely carrying his team is Adrian Peterson. He already has 1,600 yards. We said that's almost, that's like 360 yards more than the next best guy. He's doing this all after coming off ACL surgery. And in his last seven games, when he's really exploded, he's had 1,101 yards rushing. Compare that to his quarterback, who's had 962 yards passing. 
that's unheard of almost. And uh, it's basically they took the reins off him finally. Yeah, so I think they finally go. got to a point where they were confident enough with the knee. You know, because nobody expected a guy who had surgery on New Year's Eve to be ready to play week one. So I think they got to a point where they were confident with his knee, and that's when they let him go, and he's done what Adrian Peterson does. And if you do that math over the last seven games, that's about 160 yards a game. And if he keeps up that pace for these last three games, he's going to go, let's see, multiply that, times three equals. He will go put up 2,071 yards this season. The other interesting thing about all this Again, he's just carrying that team. As soon as Percy Harvin went down, Christian Ponder became a total afterthought, uh, which maybe shows you how valuable Percy Harvin is too. The other interesting thing about both of these guys is in these monster seasons that both of them are having, neither are likely to get any serious MVP consideration. Uh, and that's really too bad. Maybe if Peterson hits 2,000 yards, they're going to have to include him in there. And maybe if Minnesota makes the playoffs with this tough stretch run they have, maybe they'll have to put him in consideration. I just don't think anybody beats out Brady or maybe Manning at this point. But I, I think it's Brady's award to lose at this point. If it's Brady and Manning for MVP, I think you got to give Peterson the Comeback Player of the Year award. Yeah. I mean, Peyton at least had the whole year. I mean, he did have some crazy reconstructive neck surgeries or whatever. Right. Maybe people thought he would never be the same. He kind of had a slow start, though. Peterson really hasn't. Uh, he's been great all year. And he's probably the sole – if this was an award that's really the most valuable player to their team, it would be tough to give it to anybody but Peterson because I know it's a quarterback league, but not that team. I mean, that team is winning solely because of Peterson and maybe the defense. But uh, you could argue that the Patriots still have some wins. I, 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 they would be a bad, bad team without Adrian Peterson there in Minnesota. Harrison Smith looks like a really good young player that they drafted this year too, rookie. Uh, my last thing, P- Commissioner, former Commissioner Tagliabue today threw out the bounty suspensions for Jonathan Vilma, Scott Fujita, Anthony Hargrove, and the fourth guy. I knew if I started saying their names, I was going to... The guy in Cleveland? Le- yes. Fu- I can't, I can't. No, did I say Fujita, right? Oh, maybe you did, yeah. Oh, Vilma. Vilma, Hargrove, Fujita... And the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the football podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We got all these words written down on paper, but none of them are the fourth guy. Anyway, he threw the suspensions out today. They're gone. He said some weird things, like there was some evidence that the commissioner could have suspended more Saints players and didn't. It doesn't affect the suspension of Coach Payton. And Jonathan Vilma has said that he will is glad this phase is over, but he's going to continue the defamation part of his lawsuit because he still feels like there is absolutely no evidence or reason for him to be suspended. Did you say Will Smith? Will Smith is the other one. Okay. Yeah, and it sounded like it, it's a weird gray area issue here. And uh, it's not... The Bounty Gate scandal, as it originally came out from Roger Goodell, made it sound like, and the Greg Williams tape is probably the most damning thing as far as this goes, it made it sound the worst. It made it sound believable that there was a Bounty Gate because of the way Greg Williams talked in that tape. It made it sound like they were paying people to injure people. Tagliabue basically said, 
they were paying people for hits or for plays and they weren't necessarily not paying them if they were injured or if they were if the guy that did the hitting was fined or anything like that. So basically they were they were still paying out these for these hits if they were illegal or dirty hits. It's a funny gray area there. Like had they said maybe okay, I'll pay you for a big hit as long as you don't get suspended for that big hit or as long as you don't get fined for that big hit, then they're probably not doing anything wrong. It just doesn't sound like it's as damning as Roger Goodell made it sound in the beginning of the Roger year. Roger Goodell was protecting the league because of the CTE and all suspensions. the just all the lawsuits and against that's the why league. Everyone went down. Yeah, and like I said, the Greg Williams tape is just to have that available while this was going on was was the worst thing. You that think could have that's happened. a dirty move by the guy releasing that, being that he was welcomed a, into the Saints locker room and he was room. a disgruntled pl- or. Well, he was like an assistant or something, right? No, he was a documentary maker who was filming. Oh, okay. You mean the guy that recorded the guy that, that tape. recorded the tape was a documentary maker filming a documentary about Steve Gleason, the guy who blocked the punt in the home. Oh, right, game, right. Who now is um, ALS? Do you think it's dirty that he released that tape given the access he was given and? Not, I no, not necessarily. I mean, if he withheld it to protect the team, that would be kind of against his journalistic integrity too. If he if he turned around and took it to the league or something like that, like I don't know exactly how it all played out, but I I don't know. I mean, it was interesting to hear the Greg Williams tape. It's disgusting, and uh, it didn't look good for football. I think that's part of what Roger Goodell probably thought he had to do something and maybe act like that's not okay that might go on in every locker room i don't know nobody else has come forward and said it does but really here the bad guy is greg williams and that's the guy you're not hearing from at all the uh the uh release of the tape kind of reminds me of the controversy about the poor photographer in new york city that everyone's all over for selling that picture of the guy getting pushed off the oh the subway yeah i don't think he did anything wrong said there was no way he was going to get to him to help him. The only thing he could think of was to use his flash, try to get the driver's attention. And then once you have the picture and you sell photographs for a living. Right. So maybe I'm making a case for There's a lot of terrible photographs out there. There's the uh, the napalm girl, which is really famous, that uh, was burned. Maybe that photographer could have gone and done something. I, I don't know. It's not exactly like he was a, he was paparazzi or something like that. He wasn't like a dirty move, but there's a fine line there, I suppose, but I, I think the guy did the right, did what he thought was right. I don't, th- I don't think he did it looking for a payday or looking to uh, besmirch the, the saints unnecessarily or anything. All right. That's it for three things. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Our guest today has been a friend of the sportscasters for a long time and is a, NFL play-by-play man for Fox Sports. He works with Tony Saragusa and is on number one team for Fox. Uh, we're very proud to have him on the show today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Kenny Albert. How are you doing, Kenny? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Doing really good. Very excited to have you on the show today, and I feel bad I did leave out Daryl Johnson, who's also one of your partners. Sorry about that, Daryl. Um, uh, let Moose know about it. It'll work. <laughs> uh, First thing I have to ask you, because you got to witness it last week, 
What was it like to watch Adrian Peterson do what he's doing right now? Oh, it was tremendous. Uh, we actually worked two of the last three Viking games, and what a comeback, you know, following the surgery late December last year, not even a full uh, year ago, and, uh, you know, to, to be leading the league in rushing and approaching 2,000 yards, and he's had so many big runs this year, had the 51-yarder last week on the first play from scrimmage, so it's it's been a remarkable comeback, and uh, you have to look at both Peterson and Peyton Manning as the leading candidates for comeback player of the year, if not MVP. It's probably the best comeback player of the race award in the history of pro football. Yeah, I mean, you know, to get two guys like this, and I think you have to throw Thomas Davis into the mix from the Carolina Panthers, uh, coming off three consecutive torn ACLs, and, uh, you know, I don't think he'll win it. I think he'll go to an offensive player such as uh, Manning or Peterson, like you said, but quite the race. Um. Did you do any Vikings games earlier in the year when they weren't – he was playing well, but they weren't giving him the ball as much? I mean, can you make a comparison from what you've seen maybe earlier to now and and what the difference might be? Well, it's hard to compare because the game we did um, earlier was probably their best game of the season when they beat San Francisco. Okay. Uh, week three, which was, you know, a, a big game for Percy Harvin and Christian Ponder had one of his best games, so you're right, Peterson didn't get the ball as much in that game, but uh, they were very effective with Ponder running for a long touchdown, and, uh, you know, Harvin uh, had a terrific game, like I said, you know, not only uh, receiving-wise, but had a couple of nice runs out of the backfield as well. So you guys got a nice schedule coming up, huh? Uh, we do. A couple of key NFC East games. We have the Giants and Falcons this week down in Atlanta on Sunday, which uh, features... Obviously, the defending Super Bowl champs up against the team with the best record in the NFC. And then we'll have the Cowboys and the Saints the following Sunday down in Dallas. You know, we have been very critical of the Falcons on this show. We don't we don't believe in the Falcons. I know they have a great record. They are undefeated at home. But sometimes it just seems like they really need something to happen just right for them to win some of those games. Like the prayer that... Uh, Matt Ryan threw to, I believe, Roddy White to beat the in Panthers the Yeah, in the first one. And Peyton Manning basically handed him that game. And if that was a five-quarter game, there's no doubt that, in my mind, that Denver would have won it. What about you? Do you do you believe in, in them? And do you think that they have something to prove playing the defending champs this week? Well, I think, first of all, you know, it seems like you're not the only ones. A lot of people aren't giving the Falcons credit. Uh, they are 11-2. and two. They won a lot of close games, and I think you have to give them credit for that. Um, you know, if a couple of those games go the other way, uh, you're right. They're probably 8-5 and five or 9-4, and four, but the bottom line is they are 11-2. and two. They're perfect at home, 6-0 and oh at the Georgia Dome, and Matt Ryan's 32-4 and four in his career at the Georgia Dome in the regular season, which is remarkable. Um, but I think for the Falcons, it all comes down to the playoffs. You know, whether they win their last three games this year and go 14 and two, or whether they lose the last three and finish 11 and five. Um, you know, this is a team that during the Mike Smith, Matt Ryan era, has not won a playoff game. They've gone 0 and three with losses to Arizona and then Green Bay and the Giants the last two years. The teams that went on to win the Super Bowl, so they've they've caught those hot teams at the wrong time from a Falcon standpoint. So. I really don't think it matters, you know, how they finish in the regular season. You know, obviously they'll win the division. They've already clinched that. Uh, they'll finish with at least 11 wins, probably more. But I think it all comes down to the playoffs uh, based on, like I said, uh, their history under Mike Smith and Matt Ryan in the postseason.
Obviously, you work for Fox, so you call a lot of NFC football, and you've seen uh, most of the NFC contenders, I'm sure. How do you kind of handicap at this point the race for the NFC spot in the Super Bowl? I think it's wide open, Steve. I think, you know, right now with three regular season games left, you know, just, just go division by division. In the NFC East, the Giants have only a one-game lead. Dallas and Washington uh, obviously both won big games late last week, and Washington's won four in a row now. So, you know, that's a wide-open race to the East. Um, in the North, you have you have Green Bay, you know, kind of surging, and Chicago heading in the opposite direction with a lot of injuries, and, and they've lost four of their last five games. Minnesota's still alive for a wild card. Um, in the South, obviously, it looks like it'll just be Atlanta. Right. And then out West, the race with San Francisco and Seattle. So I think, and the great, the great part about it is, you know, so many of these teams will play each other down the stretch with, with the divisional matchups towards the end of the season. So um, I think it's wide open. I think there are really six or seven NFC teams that uh, could represent the conference in the Super Bowl. What was your first thought when you heard that the 49ers were going to go with Colin Kaepernick for the rest of the season instead of Alex Smith? Well, um, you know, when they initially made the move, you know, wasn't surprising given the injury that Smith suffered. You know, it wasn't like Jim Harbaugh had a healthy Al Smith and said, I'm going to make uh, a quarterback change. It was due to the injury. And then the second week, um, Kaepernick, you know, Smith wasn't cleared until Friday. So that's why Kaepernick started the second game. And then we did his third game in St. Louis um, where he was up and down, you know, had a 50-yard run but also made two mistakes, you know, one on an intentional grounding from the end zone, uh, which led to a safety, and, and then the, the fumble on the toss to Ted Ginn, which was returned by Jenkins for a touchdown. So two key mistakes in that game. Uh, he came back and played well last week, so it was 3-1 as a starter. And, you know, you have to give Jim Harbaugh credit, I think, for making the tough decision. You know, Alex Smith's a guy that got the club to the NFC Championship game last year and uh, really didn't do much wrong this year. Um, but obviously, you know, Harbaugh feels there's more upside with Kaepernick. Um, you know, probably more prone to make a mistake as well, but, you know, we've seen what he's given them with his legs. You know, had another 50-yard run this week. No no 49ers quarterback had ever had a run longer than 49 yards, and now Kaepernick's had a 50 each of the last two weeks. So, um, you know, obviously Harbaugh feels that Kaepernick gives them the best chance to win once again, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. You know, Drew Brees has had a season unlike any other quarterback I think in history, and I, I've I've watched every game that Drew Brees has ever played as a Saint, being a Saints fan, and maybe that's a little reason why I'm down on the Falcons. But uh, I feel like when I look into his eyes out there, I just see a guy who's overwhelmed and exhausted. And I feel like he's every time I look at Joe Vitt, I feel like he's a guy who's overwhelmed and over his head. And I think that. Drew Brees has been the quarterback and the coach all season long, and I think that's a big reason why the Saints are where they are. What do you think of that theory? Well, we were there week one for the Redskins game, and um, you know the Saints had all the right things, and you know we talked to Brees and Aaron Cromer, who was the acting head coach at the time for the first six games, and it seemed like everything would be fine. You know that that Brees was sort of a coach on the field, and you know took on the extra role in the absence of Sean Payton, but. You know, obviously the Saints got off to the rough start, one and four, and then they got back to five hundred and five and five. But um, looking back, I think maybe Breeze did try to take on too much, and, and you know took too much on his shoulders as far as um, you know trying to coach the team. And you know he has a great offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael. You look what he did last year. Yes, he does. Yeah. Injury, but um, 
yeah, the circumstances, I think, you know, uh, just led to, uh, you know, what we've seen, which is an up and down season, you know, one and four, and then they go on a roll five and five and now five and eight. So when, when they got back to five and five, I, I thought they were going to roll and were down for a playoff spot. But uh, obviously right now, Kenny five and five, fourteen to seven over San Francisco, and Colin Kaepernick threw an interception at the thirty-yard line with thirty-three seconds left in the half. And the next two passes were pick sixes by Drew Brees, and that just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that you can look at that turning point right there. Yep. Uh, Last thing, Uh, I know you love hockey. I know you call hockey. Are you more appreciative of having a little bit more time with your family, or? Are you like me, a native Buffalonian and season ticket holder who just misses it like hell? Well, I think my family's probably ready to kick me out of the house. Now I've been around a lot more than I normally am this time of year. Plus, they love hockey, so uh, my, my my daughters enjoy going to the games. So uh, we are all for a quick return of the NHL, and you know I'm I'm still an optimist. I'm still keeping my fingers crossed. They'll be back sometime in uh, early January. Hopefully, that's the case. I don't have any inside information, but uh, um, you know I think they'll be back. Just my personal opinion. Kenny, thanks so much for squeezing us in today. It always means so much when you you do this show. We get great numbers, and people love hearing from you. You're one of our most popular guests, and we really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. It's always a lot of fun, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Okay, sounds great. Okay, thanks, Steve. All right, we are back. Uh, thanks for a great show today. We really enjoyed recording it. Uh, don't forget to check out our other show, The Sportscasters Proper, Season 3, Episode 5. We recorded and posted today. features interviews with uh, Dan Levy, uh, Dan Mulkin, and Jonah Carey. So you'll enjoy that at www.sports-casters.com. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And you can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com, which Joe from Indiana did. And he says, simple question, guys. Did Teo get screwed? We kind of talked about it a bit in my second thing, Joe, so you can go back and hear that there. But I wouldn't go as far as say he got screwed, but I think he should have won. It's fair enough. Yeah, it's not like the. I don't have a huge problem with Manziel winning, but I thought Teo should have been the winner. So does that mean I think he got screwed? Probably not. Yeah, I mean it depends. If you want to say he got screwed, you better go back and look over the course of history. There's probably a lot of defensive players that got screwed, quote unquote, because there's only been one that won, and he was an offensive. He was a defensive player that put points on the board via punting and kick returns. So. They're getting screwed by the system, maybe. I don't know if it's necessarily anything. Yeah, I think I said this before. The award should be called what the award is, the best offensive player in college football. Yeah, there's always the same knock on hockey, that the Defensive Player of the Year award isn't always the guy that's best at playing defense. It's usually the best defenseman that puts up points in hockey, and they should probably have two awards for that too, and they should probably do the same thing in in college football. All right, so that brings us to one last thing, and you're up first. All right, one more thing from me. Get a driver, get a driver, get a driver. Uh, I don't know. There's countless guys that I can talk about that have had careers 
that have been shortened or just get a driver. Get a driver slash bodyguard would be even better. Uh, we talked last week about the Belcher death. Since then, at least seven, and these players have been anonymous. I don't think their, their teams are looking to blow them in, but at least seven NFL players turned their guns into team security. And one of those players, at least one player, it said, turned in multiple guns telling team personnel that he doesn't trust himself with them. My first thought about that is CTE again. But regardless, I know the lifestyle these guys live is not like a lifestyle I live. I know some of these guys come from backgrounds where maybe there's a certain persona or a a style or the thug life. Maybe some of these guys can't get away with it because of the friends they surround themselves with. Get a bodyguard. Uh, Sean Taylor. Dante Stallworth, Plaxico Burris, these are all guys that could have used a bodyguard slash driver. You can employ one of your boys if you have to. Just make sure he's sober and let him carry a legal weapon if he has to. I don't know what guys have to go through to become bodyguards, but they're out there. You can pay them lots of money. You have lots of money. If you want to live the lifestyle, you're going to live. And maybe these players do need guns to a certain degree. Maybe over their life they've made enemies or there's people that just know who they are and know they have money and are in some danger being public figures. Get a driver, get a bodyguard, and stop it. I mean, there's too many of these avoidable cases that uh, just come up every every year, multiple times, unfortunately. All right, I'm going to go back two weeks uh, to when... I kind of, I don't want to say poured my heart out a little bit about Drew Brees, but kind of said how when the Saints lose, I can always deal with it unless it's Brees' fault. And I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks, and it's not Brees' fault, even if it is this year. (laughs) Because I don't think any quarterback in football history has ever been asked to be the coach and the quarterback at the same time. And I just think mentally he's been dealing with this, with the contract and how that dragged out and then losing his coach, his, his mentor, his confidant, the guy that he won a Super Bowl with, the guy that handed him a Super Bowl trophy on the stage and said, this is the MVP of our league and this is the MVP of the Super Bowl. I just think he's emotionally spent and it's not fair. It's not fair to him. And I'm not saying they should put Chase Daniel in and let Drew Brees <laughs> relax or call plays or anything crazy like that. I'm just saying that what this season is for Brees is what this season is. And it's not a true reflection of who he is. It's more about what this season is. Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink 